Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glenon Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, September 25th, 2022. Hey everybody, I'm John Vanderbilt, the executive pastor here at Glen Allen Bible Church. Hi, I'm Simone Halpin, the executive director of Naomi's House. And I'm Kelly Brady, and I serve as senior pastor here at Glen Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to the next level. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. Fall is here. It is undeniable. I love it. It's gorgeous. It's, it's great. It's going to be a beautiful day. Got to mow the lawn. Walked into Trader Joe's this morning, just tons of... You know, pumpkiny, squashy things everywhere. <laughs> and we harvested yesterday a ton of stuff in the garden. Yeah. Well, our potatoes turned out big this year. That's fine. Our sweet potatoes. I didn't do any potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. Last year, the sweet potato, two, three years ago, the sweet potatoes were big and massive and awesome. And then last year, they were like, they didn't turn out. They were like little fingerlings and Isn't they weren't supposed weird? to be. And then this year, just boom. Jennifer pulled one out of the garden. It was like both hands holding it. <laughs> like, yes. baby. Such pride. Yeah, it was awesome. So, how are you guys doing? Doing good. Yeah. Had a good Sunday good. yesterday. Packed. That was fun. Wow. John, you worked really hard to get those people in the, like the worship sardines, center. Sardines, packing them in. Yeah, it's good. Two weeks ago, we had it, but... 44 people in overflow, which no one wants to sit in overflow. So, I appreciated how hard you worked. We, we had 21 empty seats. Yeah. In the room, yeah. which is And it's nothing. hard to fill the one-offs. We need yep. to train our people to move <laughs> to the middle mm, and just, don't live in... Leave. I know. It's really hard to do that. Right. We you, were on the aisle, and we like got out, gave them room, got back I in, know. kept our aisle spot. You need an escape plan. <laughs> you there was, that's not a joke. <laughs> there was a, yeah. Just like mentally. like I had to have... Yeah. I, I felt like the bearer of... Um, like not good news to everybody. I had to, hey, can you just slide in? <laughs> and then you're like, no, I want to sit on the end. And then there's like, a party of three, and you have to split them up. Yeah, mm. and then you're like, yeah. you can't sit together. That's yeah. all right. Well, you know what else is hard about a packed uh, worship space is people are hesitant to come down for prayer because they have to crawl over people yeah. to get out. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, there's all sorts of like like science behind how many people in a room makes it a good experience. Mm. And if it's too full, it's not a good experience. And if it's, but if it's not full enough, it's also not a good experience. There's like this, you know, you want to feel like you're in a room with a lot you of don't people, be alone. but you don't want to be in a room with hmm. a lot of people. Yeah. You know, it's like, we're a, so complicated. It's like when you go to a movie and if every seat in the movie theater is t- like packed and you're all like packed in there, it do, it's not as great, but if there's like a lot of people in there, you feel like, oh, this is fun. It's just, you know. Because it's, it's about us. I don't, I generally don't like the movie theater, but. <laughs> yeah. The know, nine, the I nine was, uh, seemed more full. Looks like maybe some people are filtering into the nine. I do yeah, think I some did people are some, making their way. But I had a couple conversations with people that said, we're coming at nine now to leave space. At but man, I want to plug the nine because the nine was. The last I, couple of weeks, they've well, been on fire. Like the spirit is just moving. I mean, the spirit's moving in both places for sure. Um, but for that amount of people, for that kind of just response, yep. you know, amens and ready to hallelujah ready to and singing and clapping, yeah. like it's, if it's we, a thing. If, if we had 60 people, so we've, we've been averaging every, every Sunday except for um, Labor Day because you know people are gone that every sunday we've had either overflow or very very full where we've moved people out of overflow and get them into the room but if we had 60 people that would move to nine o'clock we'd have two 
Perfectly balanced. Perfectly (laughs) balanced. And how would that make you feel? (laughs) I would feel great about that. (laughs) (laughs) But But it's okay. I mean, come to to church. Don't not come to church. Come to church when you can come to church. But But if if you you can, come to the night. It's great. Yeah. It's a ton of fun. It leaves a little bit more space. It doesn't feel too early at all. Like, it's like, no, people are ready to go. We used to have an 830 service. It was hard to get people out to the 830. I kind of remember that. And we've been, we've been, uh, transporting Wheaton College students, so we've been using our van and driving students over, and I think we had close to thirty this week. Yeah, they had to make we two trips. Two, two, yeah, yeah, making two trips. So, you know, I thought um, it's fun. The um, the coat drive in Sarah's announcement. She did so great. It's so fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, she did a great job casting the vision, talking about uh, how we want to grow it up at the the second campus at Poplar Creek, and and just giving a history and. I spoke to her a little bit this morning. She said that 25 new people signed up to serve, which is will be a huge positive. And um, she was ballparking, saying, I think 200 coats have already been spoken for, taken uh, by our congregation. So that's a lot of fun. It's great. Membership class last night, really busy day yesterday. We had membership last night. About 15 people showed up, I think. And... Um, Good discussion, really warm environment, a lot of folks eager to grow and be a part of the community. So I was encouraged by Sunday. You kind of made a... um... Yeah. (laughs) 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 Yeah. You're going to follow up with this? (laughs) What'd you do? We we work too closely to spend too much time together. We know what we're going to say. You made an appeal... Come to membership. We'll, we'll talk about discipline. Yeah. When you sign up to be a member, you're signing up to be disciplined. Oh, and, and give. You were strong on both. Yeah. You were strong on both. I, which I thought it fit well with this, yeah. the sermon and it, and it connected with you know, an application point. I'm just giving you a hard time. Why else would, would someone want to become a member of a church? Why should you become a member of Glen Ellen Bible Church? What's the difference? Well, the difference is you can, um, you can participate more fully. So members get to put their hand on the steering wheel, so to speak. Um, In what, what, what way do you mean? Members get to vote. So members get to vote for elder leadership. Members get to vote for the budget. And um, membership is really an opportunity to strengthen the mission of a church. Um, to what add would, to your, you I'm, add? I'm answering, you can answer my own. <laughs> yeah. I think all, uh, the church leadership relies on membership first yeah. in a lot of ways. So if there's opportunities to get involved, to serve, to mm-hmm. lead, or whatever, um, there's it's often you know we need to get. Let's talk to. The, we need to move our members. Yeah, we need to move our members into this, and um, yeah, an opportunity to be on the front lines a little bit more and. Yeah, I think you, you also, you know, you represent the church in your community. Not that regular tenders don't, but there's a more of a, kind of a formalness to, hmm. you represent the church in your community or where you, where you participate in other stuff. So, do you, feel, do you feel spiritually accountable for those who come here but are not members? Absolutely. Yeah. So if you call Glenn Bible Church home, yeah. I, I think pastoral staff and elders feel... A responsibility to shepherd, absolutely. 100%, yeah. 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 Yes. But I, I'll be honest with you, those that have signed on the dotted line who said we're, we're on board, 
we're with you financially. We're going to utilize our gifts. We're all in. There is a greater responsibility because I, we've told them that we'll, that we'll shepherd them uh, more thoroughly and, and, that, and that, you know, frankly, discipline. And discipline's a very positive thing. It helps us grow. And um, so those that have signed up for membership, they do get, receive um, more attention at a shepherding level. So. Yeah, that was, uh, I bring that up because many, many years ago I was in a pastor director meeting at a former church and um, this was the hot topic, was, was membership and the room was pretty divided on its you know, value, yeah. yeah, and just what it means, and and that was one of the questions that was thrown out there. Like, are we are we literally spiritually accountable for those who are not members, like to God, hmm. you know? And it was a you know heated back and forth. <laughs> I, I was just listening. I was like, oh, this is crazy. What are these dudes talking about? Because that was like year two or three for me in the church, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I didn't really know a lot about that stuff, but it was an interesting conversation and debate. They ended up landing on membership, like, yeah. It's a value and yeah. All right. Um, let's, we have a lot of questions. Yeah. yeah we may have to move. Because there was a lot of content yesterday. <laughs> there was. <laughs> Longer is not better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here we go. Hence uh, the sitting on the aisle. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, first question. I always figured that the biblical stories were different from our life experience. Are you saying God still does miracles? What can I expect as far as miracles? Yeah, I'll answer this. Y'all be thinking about miracles y'all have seen. Y'all could chime in, but yeah, absolutely. God still does miracles. If you woke up this morning, (laughs) that's a miracle. My point is (laughs) that God sustains the world. We know that um, in him we move and live and move and have our being. In other words, just the fact that the globe is rotating and, and that we're drawing breath is a miracle of his sustaining power. He answers prayer. I mean, prayer isn't wishful thinking. Prayer is engaging with our creator, and he answers prayer. Um, every indication in the New Testament is that prayer, um, the, our expectations should be that we're heard because of Christ's sacrifice, and God is actively responding. That's that he's engaged. He converts human hearts, for example. That's a miracle, moving people from selfish and self-interested uh, to selfless and Christ-centered. That is a miracle to change the disposition on the human heart. Uh, and then he, he certainly heals, delivers, restores, sets people free, increases joy. All of these things are, are miracles. But I'll just I'll give you a little direct, um, I'll give you a little scripture passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. The context is uh, the gifts given to the congregation and, um, and just the list of the types of gifts given indicates God's going to do something. So um, God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. So yes, I mean, God, through Paul, says he's giving gifts of a miraculous nature uh, to some within the congregation. Have you guys, how would, do y'all have front row seat uh, experiences to God's gifts of miracles or healings or? Yes. 
you guys go and I'll well, that was, I feel yeah, like you yeah, should no, go. That was go, so. Man. Oh, well, I mean, we were, you know, we were all at that comp. <laughs> well, yeah. The three of us, uh, John Kelly and I, and, and several others from GBC, elders included, were, some elders were at a healing conference. And, you know, I'm glad you, and we'll talk about this in a few questions. I'm, I'm glad you brought up Benny Hinn, mm-hmm. um, which I didn't know that he confessed and like, yeah. that, what a great story. Um, but in my mind, growing up, not in the church, coming to faith later, when I think about healing in church, Benny Hinn is the exact. That's who you picture. That is my oh, image in yeah. my mind yeah. as a as someone who did not grow up in the church. I know sure. those guys. The heavy metal songs I listened to had tons of uh, heavy metal bands I listened to in the eighties and nineties had tons of songs about these guys. Oh, yeah. um, and so, they, so this these guys were a target in my mind. These guys were the worst of the worst. You know, mm. growing up outside of the church, and so. Well, even inside the church, <laughs> it's sure. very similar sure. besides a, a certain, uh, I don't want to say denomination, but a certain type of believer that kind of believed in prosperity gospel. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Go yeah, ahead. no, you're good. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, sorry. This is Iron Maiden had a song called Holy Smoke. <laughs> and uh, Metallica had a song called Leper Messiah. Uh, and wow. um, I mean, just these songs are about fake healers. And so, um, so that was my framework. And then uh, the first church I really got plugged into was cessationist. So that means they did not believe in the continuation of gifts. Um, so that's kind of the camp I was in. And then when we went to us, when we went to that healing conference, that was the first major exposure I had right front and center, right in front of my face to healing that was yeah. number one actually happening and number two was conducted well. People right. weren't in a, falling in all over the place in a sane yeah. manner. Yeah, yeah. it kind of rocked my world. Like I had heard about it that this was possible, but I hadn't seen it and been a part of it. And so it sort of just reworked my, my mental framework about it and how to go about it. And, um, and the personal story I have is with Jennifer, is with my wife. Um, she, you know, she went, uh, and we found out about this conference a year before it happened when we were there for a different conference, because uh, it was like a three-year series on the gifts or whatever. And so we were there the year before, and they said, hey, we're going to do this conference on healing. And I was, the first thought in my mind was like, Jennifer's going. We're, we're going to go. We're going to, you know, we're going to pray. We're going to learn. And so she went to... And um, at the time, she had had uh, a chronic thing with, with her neck, like she couldn't look all the way to the left. Um, and so I would, like every night before we went to bed, for ye- literally for years, I would like have to massage her neck and it would help her rest. And so one of those nights in Oklahoma, you know, we we'll go back to the hotel and uh, we're getting ready to go to bed and, and she's like, hey, you know, can you, um, can you rub? And she just stopped and she said, no, can you pray? Mm. I was like, yeah. Yeah, and we of course we're we're in conference mode, so we're fired up, you know. So you know, here comes these prayers of faith, and you know, and so I I, pr- I laid hands on her and prayed, and the problem that had been there for literally years went away, a hundred percent, no more pain, full range of motion in looking to the left and the right, zero pain, mm-hmm. hasn't come back since. Praise God. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that just rocked us. Yeah. That that just. If the doors weren't 100% open already, <laughs> and they pretty much were, because yeah. we saw some amazing things, uh, at that moment, they yeah. were definitely 100% so open. Cool. So I'd recommend a book titled Miracles Today uh, by Craig Keener, K-E-E-N. 
NER. Craig Keener is a New Testament professor. It's an excellent book that gives uh, reasoned explanation as well as inspiring stories. Mm-hmm. Miracles Today is the title of it. It's mm-hmm. awesome. How about you guys? Yeah, I see this. Um, the first thing that came to my mind is when we see at, at Naomi's house when somebody is able to stay clean and overcome addiction. I think that is, it's a common issue, common struggle women have when they come to Naomi's house for a lot of different reasons. But when, I think the miracle happens when, when a woman gets to a point where um, she feels less temptation or less, it's not even temptation, it's like a physical you know, disease. Yeah. Well, I was going to say she feels like I crave coffee, right? This is how a lot of times when they, when women first come to our program and they're going through withdrawals and we do all kinds of medical intervention before they come to Naomi's house. But, um, I think seeing someone lose the desire to use and there being, it's a miracle that especially like something as strong as like an opiate or um, a narcotic that if, if not um, medically monitored to take these drugs out of their system, they would, there could be some severe consequences. And Mm -hmm. we've, you know, we've seen a lot of relapse, but we've seen a lot of women stay clean. And there's this one woman I think of in particular, and every time she hits an anniversary, I just feel such relief for her. And I still worry Mm -hmm. that she'll relapse. I think it's a, I just care so much for her that if it would just destroy her, and I know she could overcome it, but just to think that she has made it this far, I think she's over four years clean now. So those are the miracles that we see, particularly around substances and just the the, um, stronghold it can have on both the brain and the spirit. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, on on a daily basis, I think that we can see and experience all sorts of different kinds of miraculous things you know the timing of interactions with people like sometimes if we just stop and look and pause and think what's God doing in this in this moment um, some of the more supernatural I mean we saw a lot of just God moving and doing amazing things through the adoption of our kids and divine I would you know I don't know the divine appointments I don't know if that's a mm-hmm. you know what that all entails but you know, thinking that you're going to be in a process for this, 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 and all of a sudden, you know, things are approved and things move forward and finances come in from people you don't even know. And, you know, all these, you know, powerful kind of God, seeing God move and, and work. And I think we see, you know, man, I think of seven high schoolers getting baptized. Mm-hmm. That's a miracle mm-hmm. in our mm-hmm. culture and all that's going on for for kids who, <laughs> some of those kids are unchurched, mm-hmm. far from God in every, you know, worldly aspect you can think of, and they, they showed up, they were invited by friends, and they found Jesus, and Jesus found them, and mm-hmm. then they go and, you know, get baptized, commit their life to Christ. I mean, those, that's, it's not somebody, you know, speaking in tongues and we're translating and doing, you know, it's not that type of a miraculous thing. But man, for a heart of a 16-year-old, you know, boy or girl to come to Christ, get baptized, follow him, that's miraculous to me. Absolutely. And we get to celebrate that stuff. And it, all sorts of things. I mean, we see healings in the church and 
hard hearts melted and people mm-hmm. come to Christ and yeah, it's all beautiful, miraculous. Have you seen, uh, have you, Kelly, have you seen instant, instantaneous healing in an elder meeting before and in, in if someone's come forward to pray? Oh. Yeah, we've had a couple instances of... I'm so bad with my memory. I, I have actually taken to writing them down because I can't remember. I yeah. have seen instantaneous healing. The first one I ever saw was of my sister. Really? Yeah. She had appendicitis. We had just moved from Texas to Pennsylvania. Knew nobody. Zero. My mother, um, we had gone to church one Sunday. So she called the church and said, hey, my daughter's got appendicitis. Would, do you guys pray for healing? And the elders came over. It went away. Wow. Wow. Boom. So I would say, you know, yeah, my, and then Rachel, my daughter, I've seen, she came in to pray. Uh, We asked the elders to pray for her. She had a cyst under her tongue as a little girl, and um, the Lord had told me it's going to go away. And, and I, I said to the Lord, well, when? Mm. And I hadn't told Rachel it's going to go away because I didn't want to jerk her around as a little girl. So we brought her in, and um, sure enough, it went away. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And man, I know. asked the doctor, just, yeah. I said, yeah, yeah. doctor, how often do these things go away? He said, you mean spontaneous reversals? <laughs> I said, okay, if that's what you call it. He goes, never. Cool. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. That's great. Man, and you know, uh, what a, what a great way to share the gospel what a great what a great inroad or a bridge or in a relationship like if just to ask somebody if they're sick especially if they're chronically ill like hey can I would you mind if I prayed for you yeah we love I mean if you're listening and you have something that's uh, chronic you know, if you've got something you want prayer for man we just love to pray for God's care of people around here so don't be shy let's, yeah. let's pray for that um, okay let's um, let's go to the next one what role does forgiveness play in how we respond to Christians who have discouraged our faith? And when can pastors who failed be given the opportunity to lead again? Forgiveness is crucial. This question came up after first service. Someone came down front and said, I'm surprised you didn't talk about forgiveness at all. And I said, well, I just didn't get to it. I mean, uh, how many? How, how long did you want to yeah. sit here? Three and a half hours later. <laughs> but absolutely, forgiveness is, is critical. Jesus said, if you forgive other people when they've sinned against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's Matthew 6, verses 14 to 15. So forgiveness is is a critical, crucial indication that we are, have we know God's forgiveness. Those who have experienced God's forgiveness, one of the indications they've experienced God's forgiveness is they extend that forgiveness to other people. And so it's, forgiveness sets us free. It's, um, it's a grace experience to extend, so it's, it's critical. Um, here we want to draw a distinction between forgiveness and trust. It's one thing to forgive people, to let them off the hook and say, you know, I hold nothing against you. And that's very important that we do that for people. It's a whole nother matter to begin trusting them again. Uh, we can forgive folks who've wronged us, but we need to be careful in many, many instances to trusting them again uh, to certain degrees. We, we need to, to earn trust. They need to be um, demonstrate a change of life if they've wronged us. This is especially true in, when restoring pastors. Pa- teachers of God's word, pastors are held to a higher standard, and, um, which means restoration to ministry for those who have disqualified themselves, and that's the exact word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. He didn't want to be disqualified. There are some sins that are disqualifying. 
which means the, the pastor who sins and disqualifies himself has to go to the bench. They're not game ready. They can't be on the field. They can't be leading. And they stay on the bench until they get restored. And the, the bar for being ready to get back on the field and lead to be entrusted again is, um, is high. And, and it includes things like a demonstrated submission to leadership. A renewal of mind and habits. They demonstrated my mind has changed. I've been transformed on this. Uh, what I previously was entangled in regarding sin, I'm now free from. My mind is different. My habits of life are di different. A healing of relationships. Because when a pastor sins, they have sinned against a congregation. They've sinned against the elders. They've sinned against their spouse. They've, and so there needs to be a healing of those, rest, those, those relationships and uh, before those the pastor's set up for leadership again. And then a faithfulness in a few things. In other words, <laughs> I've disqualified myself, uh, but I'm ready to start at the top again. And that's just not how it works. So there needs to be a demonstrated humility and I'm willing to serve at the level that you will entrust me. Maybe that's, you know, well, it, it would just, you know, to disqualify yourself from pulpit ministry, platform ministry, and then the first re-entrance into your restoration of ministry is back in the pulpit, it just seems like a miss to me. I think there are many other opportunities to serve that demonstrate submission and humility and a gentleness that we all want to see. What do you guys think? <laughs> do you think there's ever a time... Do you think... Uh, all moral failings can be restored and the person can be brought back to their, where they were previously. I want to say yes in God's economy, but that's, you're asking a pretty broad question. Every situation is unique. Gotcha. Yep. So what I found in my own life and in other people's lives, <clears throat> particularly in pastors, pastors who disqualify themselves, have held a beach ball underwater for a long time. And what happens is, you know, in their 40s or 50s, they can't hold that beach ball under the water anymore. And they succumb to a temptation and get entangled in sin. And so unraveling um, the reasons. Yeah, all the why. The why yeah. I got entangled in sin takes a lot of time. Yeah. And so when you ask, can everybody be restored? I, I want to say, well, it depends on how hard they work and in the work, are they really willing to do the work? The, the work to unravel the why we turn to particular sins is really cumbersome. Hmm. I'm sure you see that in the Naomi's house world. <clears throat> I just think this is a, I, I can't figure out why I feel tension around this question because I feel like what pastor since the question's asking about pastors, um, is not sinning. Right. What pastor what I, has not failed? Well, I didn't go failed. quite that far. Because <laughs> I know there's some specifics that you're mentioning. You're talking about yeah. some bigger... Right. Yeah, and so, did you yeah. guys listen to... Um, you introduced me to Theology in the Raw, and yeah. within the last couple of months, I did a whole interview of a pastor who... Um, I don't remember what his sin was but what he did something and confessed it. And then he, he got up in front of the church. I think he was having sex with his fiance 
or maybe they weren't even engaged. And then he got up and confessed the sin as a pastor to the whole church. And she was also like brought into the light because everybody knew they were dating. And then they put him on a disciplinary track. Okay. And for a year, mm-hmm. he didn't preach. That's great. Okay, so I know it's great <laughs> because a year later he preached again and it was a really cool story and he said his first time back in front of the congregation, they clapped and they praised God that he had been restored and they got married and and I don't mean to, I'm just saying there was a part of me that felt a little like, oh, it felt like the scarlet letter in some regard. Like he was, he shared the story. So it's his interpretation of it. But I think I'm wrestling a little bit with this question. Like, I don't know. It feels like bringing up someone in front of the whole congregation and being like, they messed up when I'm, it's like, take the plank out of your own eye a little bit. So I don't mean to be devil's advocate here. I'm just kind no, of like, gosh, great. what is yeah, this? You this can feels, be the devil if you want. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels, wow. it just feels a little like, um, you're asking how much sin is too much sin because we all have sin. Yeah. What's and why does it disqualified? Yeah, I guess so. Or like this or the path to restoration really, you know, I, I think you're wrestling or yeah, go ahead. No, I, I think you're wrestling with what, um, what needs to be made public mm-hmm what is just sort of normal day in and day out, mm-hmm. the repentant, the daily repentance yeah. of every single right. follower of Jesus that right. is taking place. Mm-hmm. And then w- when does something move into the category of disqualifying? When does something move into the category of disqualifying and needs to be made public? Yeah, I think it's and the then, public piece that yeah, the, feels weird. Well, there's the scripture... I mean, churches rely on is mm-hmm. the, you know, rebuke them publicly so that others don't fall into sin. And that some churches take that very literal, li- very literal mm-hmm. regarding lots of issues. Mm-hmm. Other churches try to discern what that looks like. And, but we're, and we're also talking some things about- are probably too private sure. in some contexts. Some things should be made public. And then in other contexts, things are probably too private public and but we're also talking about people who have knowingly signed on the dotted line this is the gig yeah this is the job i'm held to a higher standard i'm leading like this is and simone one of the concerns um i haven't listened to the theology and raw story i'll try and find it i'm just gleaning from what you've described if if i were an elder uh, charged with the oversight of this young pastor who's got a fiance and they committed fornication, sex outside marriage, um, I would want to ask him and have him work through, you know, why didn't you take the available off-ramps? Why didn't you, why isn't there a habit of confession? We're, we're your closest buddies that you're, and, and why didn't you feel safe? Why did you keep this in the dark? Yeah. Uh, all good things to yeah. be asking. I just, I guess we're, it, you know, maybe I'm thinking too literal in terms of your uh, bench analogy about like you're benched or whatever. It makes me feel very performance based. Like if you don't play well, you have to sit out. Mm-hmm. And it feels a little bit like that where. Um, oh, well, here, let me. Do you see what I'm like? Yes, but let me. Okay. So. I just want the freedom of the three of you who are all pastors to yeah. be, you know, like there's no expectation from someone like me who's sitting in the congregation thinking like, oh, I'm waiting. I, you're going to mess up and then you're going to get brought in front of everybody I don't know they're just I know that's not what you're saying but it's like a there's just a tension there for me that let me me give you another 
perspective then. So the burden of ministering as a hypocrite is crushing. Mm. So when we send someone to the bench, it's in their best interest. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know the difference between playing hurt and playing injured? Yes. I love that. I love that analogy. Thank so you. we all play hurt. He's mansplaining yeah. right now. <laughs> I think that's the other thing I'm probably reacting to is that it's a you're describing a very masculine situation, and so it's like there's all of this, you know, boundaries in place for men who are sinning and having to be held accountable, and then there's, you know. Where's the care and the love for a woman who is also what you're describing is, you know, not. Why being... would this be gender unique? Well, I mean, there, there are female pastors all over the world. Sure. Yeah. It, I'm not saying it's gender unique. I'm just saying that's probably the. Well, it tends to yeah. be in the public things that we see. Right. Like if you're going to bring a pastor or an elder at Glenelg Bible, it's at this point in time because you don't have any female pastors at the moment, I know you have, <laughs> you know, it would be, so we're really just talking about half the congregation and how they're treated for a sin that, or, or like the sanctification process that you care about. So that's probably the other. Yeah, I'm, but we I'm do have female talking. staff that lead programs and yeah. they could. They would fall under this. Sure, they would yeah. disqualify themselves to an extent. I mean, if they were drunken, yeah. caught in lies, um, whatever, yeah. I mean, and. And there's a lot of discipline that takes place at churches that isn't uh, sending someone to the bench. Mm -hmm. um, um, I mean, for, for example, the um, Glowing Bible Church has a, a, a line in the budget for staff counseling. Yeah, good. Well, that's a disciplinary measure. We, we need these folks to, to grow up, to sort through their stuff. And if they don't do it, we drag them up front, and we <laughs> and their punishment is therapy. <laughs> Lifelong. The I think Matt's uh, what Matt you brought up is a really important thing to distinguish that not only in the church but in the secular sphere. Pastors have different expectations on their lives, the things that they must conduct. So even to be called a pastor in our state and in the laws of our land, we have to be a part of certain things, and there's uh, benefits that come with it and responsibilities that come with it. And the same is true uh, in a different way in the church. As a pastor in the church, we sign on to different things. We commit, and, and I'm just talking about this church specifically. We commit to a level of um, accountability and evaluation in our character, not just our performance right. in the writing and the speaking and the leading and the, the things that we do. There's this other part of our lives that under that distinction of being a pastor that we submit to willingly, knowingly, and we sign on to an agreement, um, the contract and the policies of the church. And in those, um, those documents, there's clear expectations for 
your job, but then also your character. Yeah. And if your character starts to, you feel like you're is growing tempted or entangled in something or you're struggling through something, man, we've got off-ramp after off-ramp after off-ramp after off-ramp to help a pastor not disqualify themselves. Yeah. And then if they do disqualify themselves, we have a, a whole process that they, they sign on to uh, in the beginning to help restore them back to ministry. Part of that process is there is some element of public... Um, can be. Can be. It's not always. Right. But uh, depending on the nature of the, of the issue and what's going on and a public um, communication to the body mm-hmm. about what's happened. And... Um, yeah, it makes me know. just That's, think of it makes me think of like how hyper aware I am of being a pastor here and being out somewhere like when I'm communicating with our flag football coaches, like, you know, all together in a big room, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. just like I'm doing mental gymnastics on the words I'm going to use because, you know, I just I want to. I want to be on the up and up. I want yeah. to like, hey, they, these guys know I'm a pastor at a church at a local body. Like, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? Like, I'm not just going to be like, okay, I'm going to be one of the guys right now. Blah blah. You know, like, <laughs> you know. And so there's a little bit of that um, that comes along with, and hopefully as I grow, it won't matter. But I'm also thinking, I don't want to talk like a pastor from a church either. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I, I got to recognize my audience, and I'm not going to, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I I'm just, I'm kind of hyper aware of what this role means and and that I'm held to a higher accountability and standard for better or worse like and I think too is like I have we've all experienced churches that have that we can evaluate to say whether they they, it seems like they either did it right or wrong Mm -hmm. in their because they're like in a public you know I think of some even the local some of the like Bill Heibel stuff like that all got really and then the Mark Driscoll stuff that went like national. James know? McDonald. But there's all sorts of small, yeah, James. There's all sorts of smaller um, churches that are doing, like you said, you know, all different kinds of discipline that doesn't get, you know, the public eye on it as much. And I just, I think of the Matt Chandler stuff that just mm-hmm. went down. I don't think we, I mean, we know as much as has been shared and I trust Matt and that church and I'm sure they're getting it right and wrong yeah right that's great to say there's I mean I had questions of like really I want to bring that public like what is going on that seems a little extreme I don't know that church I don't know those expectations Mm -hmm. I don't know Matt's all of Matt's past nor do I know the detail of what was happening and going on and and um at one level, you know, you, we trust that local body to manage it. The, the, you know, the issue with it is that that's a big public national church mm-hmm. that everybody. So they're doing like local church governance and discipline on a Publicly. national stage, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. which to your, which is like I don't know if that's good and right all the time. Right. Well, it just kind of makes Christians look silly. 
it can. In this situation, yeah. I feel yeah. like it did. Like, oh my well, god, it made so, it to the world. Yes. So it's right. the world. Yes. It made the Agreed. front, which isn't always a bad thing. Yeah, the Chandler stuff made the front page of USA Today. Right on the side column, but and, it, look, and the, the, their comments were like, "No, I know we look." What so, did he so do? Answer your question, what? <laughs> yeah, you know, like but it when was we can so strange. It. Yeah, sorry. It's hard. Well, this question, this next question kind of, you know, goes into our conduct in the world here um, as Christians. Uh, you mentioned school boards and the issues they're having to address. How should Christians utilize biblical truths we have in the public sector? Yeah, so the scripture that comes to mind is always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So uh, I, I think Christians should be excellent citizens, excellent citizens. Paul described the church as the pillar and foundation of truth in the world. And so the biblical truth that we have, we should be sharing. We should be lights in the community, salt in the community. Um, so it's, it's important, I believe, for church members to be in the community, serving and sharing the Christian worldview. Uh, we should be excellent citizens. So um, it's interesting that you bring up, you know, leadership in the community. I recently wrote a letter to the school board, but before I, I wrote the letter, I asked John to read it. I think I asked somebody to read it. You did. Oh, yeah. Because I'm worried that I don't do anything to embarrass the church, Glow mm -hmm. Bible Church. So mm -hmm. I don't want to be a, a singular loose, well, you, loose cannon. Just to be clear, you sent it on your behalf. Yes, not on behalf, mm -hmm. but you didn't um, sign on as this wasn't a no. letter from the church. No. But there's still a, a link. But, yeah. yes. but there's, there's an unavoidable yeah. link. Yeah. Yes. So I sent it as a citizen in the district where my kids went to school and having concerns with certain school board issues. But I, I still uh, have responsibilities to shepherd well. And so I asked some people to read the letter before I sent it. And, uh, but I think we should be excellent citizens and we should be uh, listening to the Spirit's leadership in our lives and speaking up when, the, when we believe the Spirit is, is leading us and in the vein the Spirit's leading us and we should do that with gentleness and respect. We had recently had people from our church at a school board meeting mm -hmm. uh, to talk about a pretty big issue. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's the question, like how do we, uh, as Christians, as representing a, a local body, like how do... How do we say hard things, especially when they're just evil? Like mm -hmm. when we are confronting evil things, things that Satan is looking on and going, yes, I want this to happen. You know, and we go into this place and it's not a church. There's no rules outlined by, you know, an elder board. Like, there's not a shared uh, worldview. There's not a shared worldview. How do we... Uh, engage in engage a in a way manner. that yeah, yeah but still but but you we're not being soft up, either <laughs> blow that room up you know like we we don't want to be soft pushovers either right like we want to be direct but we don't want to mm -hmm. we want to show it's respect a good question. like it's hard. how do you how do you guys think about that yeah i think everything i agree with everything you said we don't want to be where we have opportunity to engage, man, I want to see GBC people and other Christians I know engaged. And when they're done, I want people to go, man, that was really mm -hmm. gentle, respectful, yeah. and really impactful. What I don't want is people, that guy was unhinged. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or that woman mm -hmm. was off and she was mean and crazy mm -hmm. and ornery. And she said horrible <laughs> things about other people. Because there's nothing, there's, that's completely contrary. Yeah. 
to what Christ calls us to. I think there is a way to be thoughtful, gentle, respectful to authority, and yet be very clear on what truth is. Then that takes a ton of discipline and work and having other, you know, Kelly, you took three weeks to write that letter. Yeah. You molded over. You thought about it. You looked at other perspectives. You you dug in. You dug, man. The it's loving, kind, gentle, and yet you do not hedge on the truth. What's right and wrong, and I think there's a way to do that. And I, you know, I think, um, you know, Christians in a lot of ways can feel under attack right now socially, and when you feel under attack, you act out. Yeah. in ways that are not always helpful to your neighbor, to the coach, they, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and man, we need to give a lot of grace to each other and help each other and care for each other. But, um, I, you know, take, taking a deep breath, thinking through the issue, thinking about the people involved. And again, man, I am not saying that, that we shouldn't be um, bringing the truth and standing for what is correct. But there are ways to do it um, and I don't think we always have great examples. Oh, it's good. I was going to offer a great example. Do y'all remember when Mother Teresa addressed uh, Bill oh, Clinton on yeah. abortion? Oh, yeah. You talk about uh, gentle strength. Yeah, it like four pop- foot eight. Right. She brought it, man. Like <laughs> right. brought it. Yeah. But yet you would, no one, when she was done, no one said, what a mean Christian. Right. right. Huh? Yeah. That person is angry. Right. Uh, or, but they said, you know, I thought, what a powerful statement. Yeah. You know, right? I I think, man, and I've said it over and over. I think what you talking you're talking about being Kelly. What you said, you know, I want Christians to be great citizens in their neighborhood, in the organizations that they are a part of, in the park district, and in the gym and everywhere that they go. I think honestly, that's where we will actually ha- make social change happen. You running the park district flag football thing mm-hmm. in a godly manner that talks mm-hmm. about Jesus when you can and, and right. you're respectful and upright and full of integrity and you, you treat your boy wonderfully in front of other men and you do yep. all that sort of thing. That has more impact for social change than voting for a national Agreed. person. Agreed. It just is truth. Should we vote for Christians? Heck yeah. Should we have people that believe like us in positions of power? Heck yeah. We totally should. 100%. But that's not where we're going to ultimately see cultural change take place. It's us living godly lives. It's discipleship. And, yeah. And, <laughs> right. and treating our neighbors with respect and in the public places that we can interact with and influencing people where we can influence is, I think that's where real social change starts to take yeah. place. Amen that's to that. Good. I, I'll just quick, uh, Paul's charge to Timothy was uh, the first step in, in being a great citizen is praying for our leaders. Mm. Mm. And that's hard to do it if is. you don't agree with what who your leader is. Right. Or it's, you don't it, like them. It's you don't, you much know. easier to get enraged and yeah. spout off and yeah. gossip and... Yeah. All right, well, here's, a, yeah, here's one kind of going back to uh, the Benny Hinn that you brought up in your sermon. So do you think it is appropriate to call out Benny Hinn? I just don't know if it helps the cause to throw other pastors under the bus. Also, do you think that Benny Hinn has actually worked miracles? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think the Lord has worked miracles through Benny Hinn. Do you think Benny Hinn was a pastor? I don't think he would. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, an evangelist. Sorry, I don't mean to nuance. I mean, the yeah. question is valid to answer, yeah. but... 
you, you said it on Sunday, and I thought, he didn't lead a church. I think he, he did have a church. Did he at some point? In Florida. Okay. Yeah, okay. the World Christian Center oh, okay. or something. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I just, my picture of him was a little bit what you were talking about, that he was just like this kind of faith traveler. Stage traveler, Like, yeah, had um, that almost healing crusade type yeah. thing. He and, did that for sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would say the Lord has worked miracles through Benny Hinn. Absolutely. Remember, God used Balaam's donkey to speak to Balaam. Uh, so he can certainly work through sinful ministers. He does work through sinful ministers. We're all sinful. Uh, there are no perfect ministers. There are no perfect church. God is doing what he's doing, his redemption in the world, despite the sin in the church. It's a, it really is a, a powerful example of God's grace that he, he works in us and through us despite us. As for pointing out Benny Hinn's confession, I think it actually helps to hear uh, for the church to hear that a pastor confessed and repented, that's something to be celebrated, not avoided. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of pastors that could have been brought up that the story isn't as rosy. The confession and the repentance hadn't happened yet that I know of. So, yeah. All right, next one. Um, how do we both fix our eyes on Jesus and enjoy the example set by our pastors? There are so many good pastors that deserve our appreciation and our emulation. When and how is it appropriate to enjoy the good leadership of pastors? The Apostle Paul said fairly boldly in 1 Corinthians 11, when he said, follow my example. That's really bold to put that in writing. Hey, do what I do. Mm. Follow my example. But then he, he caveats it as I follow the example of Christ. Yeah, right. yeah. There's almost an admission there. In, in every respect, I don't follow the example of Christ. But to the extent I follow the example of Christ, <laughs> do as I do. <laughs> uh, we should definitely enjoy good pastoral leadership. And we should celebrate and emulate those who whose lives demonstrate Christ. I have people at Glenn Bible Church who I watch closely and I emulate them. But I watch them so closely that I'm also keenly aware that they live in the flesh sometimes, that they're not perfect. <laughs> but there are elements of their lives that, man, I want to be like that, and I want my marriage like that, you know? And so, you know, we have people at Glenn Bible Church who have given so much so much that they get audited by the IRS. They get flagged because they give so much away. And so it's, there are folks to emulate. We should thank God uh, for the good godly examples that are present in his church. Um, while at the same time being keenly aware that, I mean, if you watch someone closely, you're going to see their flesh as well as the spirit of God at work in them. Do you guys have people you, you emulate that you, you watch closely? You, Kelly. That sounds creepy. <laughs> I knew I set myself up for that. S Simone, do you have people you watch closely? <laughs> <laughs> like through their windows? <laughs> so many things I could say. I think that we grab, like just in general, or maybe it's just Anthony and I, but we definitely gravitate to to be around people that we respect and encourage us. I mean, for example, you and Carrie, John, you're oh. older than us, you know? <laughs> so we, we look up to you in so many, like you're mentors. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not joking about that we look up to you guys, but, um, you know, there is some intentionality. I think that, like the older we become and just the wiser we become in our faith, you start to realize, gosh, there's so much I don't know. And I, I love, um, 
being around people who look at the world differently or who are further ahead or who have kids that have done the things our kids are doing and you've got people to lean into. I just, it kind of just builds us a, like a stronger community. I have one girlfriend who she and I um, have a lot of overlap in our life right now. And I feel like we probably share with each other more than I would share with anybody else about kid stuff because it's, we're kind of in the same season and it feels so good to be able to say like, this is what one of my kids did and it was awful and I don't want to talk about it, but yet I can share it with her because she'll say same, but exact same thing happened in this, you know? So there's, I, yeah, there's just a lot of, it just, there's a lot of value in community and finding people that you look up to, but also feel safe with so you can share. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm such a relational person that I'm constantly, I like to be with people all the time. Mm-hmm. All right. Should we go to the last one? You paused for emphasis to ask us if we believe that, quote, the power of the Lord Jesus is present, end quote, when we are assembled. I believe he is, but don't know what we can expect from Jesus when we are assembled. Can you explain what we should expect? We should expect the move, the power of the Holy Spirit's presence, which includes things like the conviction of sin, comfort when we're grieved or sensing trouble, comfort, right? Confirmation of a saving work. We should be uh, both convicted of sin and of righteousness, our faith in Christ. Um, There should be encouragement, direction, guidance that we receive when we're in the assembly. And in the assembly could be as few as two or three people. The present, will you gather in in the name of Christ? It could be in our small groups. But so all these things, Conviction, comfort, confirmation of his saving work, encouragement, direction, guidance, answers to prayer. We should expect answers to prayer when we're all gathered. Agreed. (laughs) Yea, verily. All right. All right. That's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text the Next Level Podcast, 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him, and our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to the next level. prophecy.